Okay, Ecclesiastes. And we're moving right along in here. We are um, getting to, what, chapter 4? Nope, 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 5. Yeah, chapter 5. Um, but before that, I had to scroll through, through some things here. Um, I was thinking when I read this particular passage, how many times do you suppose Solomon in his life went to a worship service of some type? How many festivals? How many feasts? How many times did he experience something that would be called real, genuine, authentic, power-filled, God-honoring worship? Well, I don't know. But I'd say it'd be a lot. Because you know his father David would have him in church, as we would say. And you know that as the king, he would be called upon to do all kinds of things. In fact, he's the one that built the temple that was one of the wonders of the ancient world. He is the one that when they dedicated the temple, he prayed. And it says that the cloud of glory, the Shekinah glory cloud of the Lord fell upon the place and the Lord's presence in that cloud was so thick that even the priest couldn't minister. Can you imagine being in a church service where the power of God comes on so strong that the preacher can't preach? That ought to motivate your prayer life, right? That Brother Dale had to stop singing. I've seen something similar to that about twice in my life where it just seemed like the Lord moved in and, and we just couldn't do anything. And it's amazing, amazing thing. Solomon experienced that and there's no question about what happened because the account of that is the Lord saying that he did it. It was real, it was powerful. It wasn't, it wasn't fake, there was no deception or anything like that at all. Think about that. The presence of God so strong that the priests couldn't even minister. Now, you would think that would be life-changing. But we have uh, seen over the years of our ministry, the decades of our ministry, and then reading through church history, it's interesting how sometimes the people of God can experience a genuine movement of God and how quickly they forget about it, how quickly they move on to something else. And oh, they talk about it. It was a good old thing. Oh, that's the way we used to do it. Boy, it was powerful, but it's not up to date. It's not now. It's not happening in their life today. And I think that's Solomon. He had seen it. He knew it. But he had kind of gotten to the point to where his life was so shallow, self-centered, sinful, and empty that he would still go through the motions. We don't get any indication in the scripture at all that he quit going to the temple. You know what he did? He just added some idolatry to his temple worship. His foreign wives distracted him from the worship of God. You remember that? And to placate them, he went to the high places and offered sacrifices to idols. We look at that and we go, how in the world could a man of God do that? And yet we have idols in our hearts every single day that we have to battle. So let's not... 
be too critical of him and think about what would happen to Solomon when his life kind of veered away from where it should have been and yet whenever he worshipped he would sing the songs that his father wrote singing the songs that his father wrote going through the motions offering the sacrifices and making sure that it was a big sacrifice after all he's big time king walking away empty unchanged unmoved and returning back to the lifestyle that he had been living that so grieved the Holy Spirit of God that is a sad sad picture to me and I thought about what the Bible says in Matthew chapter 4 you don't have um, Matthew chapter 15 excuse me you don't have to turn there just listen it says these people draw near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips but their heart is far from me and in vain okay that word ought to perk up your spiritual ears because Solomon's been talking about vanity of vanities all is vanity well the Lord's got some vanities too and he said and in vain they worship me teaching as doctrines the commandments of men now when Jesus says that <coughs> that's not only the thought of the Lord Jesus at that particular time because the prophet Isaiah said the same thing hundreds of years before God has always had a problem with hypocritical worship and he hates it as much today as he ever did the Bible also tells us when we think about this with Solomon and everything when Jesus was in Samaria with the woman at the well in John 4 Jesus said to her woman believe me the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father you worship what you do not know we know what we worship for salvation is of the Jews now listen to this but the hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers not the ones who do it in vain true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth for the Father is seeking such to worship him God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth so the father we know he seeks lost sinners we know that he goes after lost sheep and that type of thing but have you ever thought about the fact that the father is on a search for true worshipers so the question would be does his search end here does his search end with us does his search end with you or are you worshiping in vain so it's possible to go through the rituals it's possible to attend church it's possible to do what we call worship sing the songs and all of those things that go with it and yet walk away in the Lord not Solomon but the Lord would say vanity of vanities all is vanity these people worship me with their lips but their heart is far from me that's a kind of a 
startling thing to stop and think about. To waste your time at worship, to worship God and come up empty is what uh, we would say the word vain means there. In vain they worship me. Uh, we all ought to be thinking about that. And I think Solomon, when he comes to this chapter, the words that he is going to write to us are things that we need to consider because Solomon is telling us. This old man is saying, I've been to church, I've sung the songs, I've given the offerings, I've done the preaching, listened to the preaching, I've had all of that kind of stuff to the nth degree, decade after decade after decade. And he's saying to us now, for those of you who want to worship the Lord, let me give you some advice. Let me give you some advice from a man who found nothing but vanity, nothing but emptiness in all of it, and he doesn't want that for us. Ephesians, Ecclesiastes chapter 5, start with verse 1. And he says, walk prudently when you go to the house of God and draw, uh, and draw near to hear rather than to give the sacrifice of fools. For they do not know that they do evil. Do not be rash with your mouth and do not let your heart utter anything hastily before God for God is in heaven and you are on earth therefore let your words be few for a dream comes through much activity and a fool's voice is known by his many words when you make a vow to God do not delay to pay it for he has no pleasure in fools. Pay what you have vowed. Better not to vow than to vow and not pay. Do not let your mouth cause your flesh to sin, nor say before the messenger of God that it was in error. Why should God be angry at your excuse and destroy the work of your hands? For in the multitude of dreams and many words, there is also vanity or emptiness. But fear God. And those last three words are kind of the antidote to everything else. I think our empty, casual, meaningless, purposeless, changeless, non-sanctifying, whatever, worship really comes because we really don't honor God and we don't fear God as we should. God is not a desperate date. God is not walking around saying, Oh, will you marry me? Will you be my bride? He calls those he has chosen, sovereign grace, right? And he does it with a purpose. God's not the one who is desperately in need of us. We are the ones desperately in need of God. And we forget that sometimes. Sometimes we come into church and God is the last thing on our minds. Football dominates our conversation. Relationships dominate our conversations. 
jobs, physical needs, all kinds of things are on our mind. And boy, can we ever talk about them. But to come to the Lord thinking about the Lord is a difficult thing to do. It's so easy to get distracted. It's so easy, even when you want to do it, to get distracted. Somebody will do something, somebody will say something, somebody will wear something, somebody will not do something, and all of a sudden we're noticing everything about everything and about everyone, and our attention is taken off of God. So quick and so easily does that happen. And if it happens here in church where we're making an honest attempt to do it, what happens when we walk out? What happens during the other days of the week? And so Solomon is telling us we need to be careful about our worship and we need to understand that the antidote to an empty life is to fill our lives with worship. Two books I'd recommend. Uh, one by A.W. Tozer, T-O-Z-E-R. I can't recall the exact title of it. I think it's called Worship, the Missing Jewel. And another one by John MacArthur, he calls it The Ultimate Priority. And if you're interested in being a true worshiper, those two books will uh, help you immensely. It's not enough just to say the right things, believe the right things, and attend at the right times, and do the things that are appropriate. God is looking, of course, at the heart. And so when Solomon tells us some things about worship, this is a man who's been there. This is a man who is suffering greatly because of his failure. He warns us, number one, that worship walks hand in hand with thoughtfulness. There's a movement that kind of says, don't think, just feel, and just flow, and just do whatever happens, and all of that. And some of them even act like that if you are thinking and planning and all of that, it's not the Spirit of God. Well, the Holy Spirit knows how to do more than ad-lib, ad right? Ad-lib. And uh, He plans. And He also uses our mind. Remember, the Bible tells us that we are to love the Lord our God with all of our mind. The Bible tells us in Romans 12 that we are to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. The different verses in Proverbs that talk about the place of the mind, both Old and New Testament tell us that. We as Christians are supposed to be thinkers, not just feelers. Thinkers. Thinking about what we sing. Thinking about what we pray. Not just the cliches that automatically spew out of our mouth. Thinking about the issues, thinking about the needs, thinking about the people and praying accordingly. And we are also supposed to engage whenever we do what we're doing tonight, looking into the Word of God. This is not just mindless drivel. This is something that we need to think about. And worship walks hand in hand with thoughtfulness. And so he says we're to be prudent when we go into the house of God and we're to draw near um, to hear rather than spout off our mouths. Sometimes we are too quick to talk when we need to be listening. And um, he said that fools, it's interesting, they don't know that they do evil because to them it all sounds right, looks right, and uh, feels right, and they just walk on in their foolishness. God has certainly a different 
um, perspective on it. Don't be rash. In other words, sometimes we just kind of have diarrhea of the mouth. Words just come out. And we need to stop and we need to think about what we say. We can hurt people. We can blaspheme God. We can do all kinds of things that disrupt worship and hurt other people and cause us to be distant from God just because we don't stop and pay attention to uh, what we're saying. As it says in Proverbs, it's better to keep your mouth shut and be thought a fool than it is to open your mouth and remove all doubt, right? Um, that uh, two verses in Proverbs give you that kind of thing. And Abraham Lincoln, that, what I quoted was uh, what he used to say, but it comes out of the Bible. Don't be rash with your mouth. And uh, don't let your heart utter anything hastily before God. Most of the time, when you do something without thinking and you claim that it's God, most of the time it's not going to be. Uh, the enemy will push you, they will prod you, and they'll say, hurry, 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 hurry. How many times does the Bible tell us, wait, 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 and think, think, think about this? And so we utter some things in our haste that we really don't intend to do, or maybe we do at the moment, but we don't give it much thought after that. And uh, it's interesting, he says, God is in heaven and you on earth. In other words, you're not God. You don't see everything. You don't have the full perspective of the beginning from the ending and how you fit into all of it. And so many times we kind of get ourselves in trouble. So his counsel is, let your words be few. Well, Jesus talks about that. Um, you remember when he said, when you pray, use not vain repetitions. In other words, there's nothing wrong with repetition. Just don't let it be. There's that word again, vain. Just empty repetition. Your mouth just spews out your normal, typical prayer and your words, and you think it sounds so impressive before God and before other people. Don't use vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think that they shall be heard for their much speaking. Be not ye therefore like unto them, for your Father knoweth what things you have need of before ye ask him. If that is true, and God does look at our heart as well as listen to our words, we take Solomon's counsel. Let your words be few. A few words that are thoughtful. A few commitments that are thoughtful, as Jesus said, counting the cost. Those kind of things are much more valuable than the person who just spews off everything that ought to be done and what they intend to do, and then they never get around to doing them. Thoughtful. Number two, worship requires action. Well, you can have, in verse 3, you can be a dreamer. I think a better way to translate that is to be someone with a good wish. I wish I knew the Bible those people never do anything about knowing the Bible. They just wish they knew it. If somebody could just push a button and, whoo, I've got biblical knowledge, they'd go for it. But you really expect me to work at it? You expect me to read it? You expect me to analyze it? You expect me to think about it? You expect me to meditate on it? You expect me to listen to someone expound on it? You've got to be kidding. You know, I wish, I wish. And a lot of people kind of have this wish, I want to be close to the Lord. But you don't want to pay the price for it. It's a dream. It's a dream. And uh, dreams are only made true to come true to, through much activity. Somebody has a dream for a business. Well, they're going to have to work hard at it. Somebody has a dream to be a, you know, an Olympic uh, gold medal winner. Well, you're going to have to work 
to get to that point. And so a lot of people never follow through on their dreams. They never follow through on their wishes. They never follow through on anything like that. It's just, you know, it'd be nice. And maybe someday I'll know the word. Maybe someday I'll have a closer relationship with God. Maybe someday I'll be a powerful intercessor. And the problem is a fool's voice is known by his many words. Talking big but never quite following through. Talking big, knowing what to do, but never quite doing it. Um, I had an aunt that uh, she was sweet as she could be, and she loved the Lord. And it was interesting because she knew every vitamin you should take, every herb you should take, and she could give you all kinds of advice, and she was one of the most unhealthy persons I've, ne I've ever known because she didn't follow through on those things. And some of us kind of are the same way. We can give other people good advice about their marriage. We just don't apply it to our own. We can give other people good advice about finances. We just don't apply it to our own finances. We can tell other people. I mean, we can tear apart somebody in the way that they witness. Well, that's not really the gospel. And yet we're not sharing the gospel or doing anything with it. And so a lot of the things we say turn into just wishes. And we don't even put the activity with them. It's just a, a nice dream and uh, when people look at your life, they can say, huh, your life doesn't match up with your words. You talk too much, in other words. Be careful about all of that. And when you make a vow to God, don't delay to pay it. Now, why does Solomon say that? How many times have you told somebody, I'll be praying for you, and then you forgot about it? Am I the only one? I like to try to make a promise to pray for someone and then do it. Because, Lord, you know, if I don't, I'll get distracted and I'll forget about it. I won't give it another thought. Now, that does say something about me, but I don't think I'm the only one who does that. And sometimes it's easy to make a promise to God. God, if you'll ever bless me uh, to the point to where I get to this station in life, oh, I'll honor you in my giving, I'll honor you and all of that. And then you get to that station of life and you kind of conveniently forget about it. It's the person who is on their deathbed. Oh, Lord, if you'll raise me up, you know, I will serve you and I'll be in church every time the doors are open. And then the doctor comes in and says, we found a cure. Here, let's give you a shot. And you go home the next day and promptly forget about your vow. And a lot of people do that. Jailhouse religion, sometimes we call it. Um, you think about, you know, people that think they're on a deathbed and they make promises to God and then they forget about it uh, when they actually get healed. And that's why James tells us in the New Testament, What good is it, my brothers, if someone says, says, says he has faith, but does not have works to back it up? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? And that's something that we need to think about. Do our lives, do our actions back up the things that we sang about tonight even? Do they back up the things that we talk about in Sunday school? You know, every class probably has that one person that the teacher wishes wouldn't talk so much. And there are other people that they wish would talk more. And probably the class feels the same way. And I wonder sometimes if... We talk and we talk and we talk and we talk and we critique and we correct 
and uh, condemn some things. And I wonder sometimes if the Lord, through the Holy Spirit, is just trying to get us to go, shh, listen, listen. And we're so busy focusing on someone else, what they say or what they don't say, what they do or what they don't do, and we don't pay that much attention to ourselves. And we all are just about that far away from being a major hypocrite. It doesn't take much. And all of us are hypocrites to some degree because we're not entirely sanctified yet. But when you do it without really thinking about it or confessing it or forsaking it or controlling yourselves. You know, we're masters at always trying to control other people. And uh, as we looked at in Sunday school this morning in Ephesians chapter 4, there was not a word in that lengthy passage that had anything to do with other people and the way they act. It was you put away these things. You put away falsehood. All of that kind of stuff. And so works ought to back up what we say and everything we say ought to be thoughtful. That's what we've gotten so far out of this from Solomon. Number three, notice that worship requires honesty. This is not about coming up to church and covering up and making sure nobody really knows. You know, I would just die if anybody found out about this. Well, that's not really what worship is about. Worship is about uncovering sin and worship is about being honest, honest with each other and honest before God. The very first verse we had in Sunday school said to put away falsehood. And you think about it, how easy it is to be dishonest with yourself or to present yourself in a way that's not really true? And how many times do we say things that are not true because we want other people to think well of us and we really don't care that much about what God says? Um, he, he says, don't let your mouth cause your flesh to sin. Ouch. Ouch. Because God knows the motive and God knows what we really mean. And God even knows what we're really going to do. All to Jesus I surrender. Think before you say that. Trust and obey for there's no other way. Are you really doing that? Think about it. And that's why sometimes it's more comfortable to sing songs that are about Jesus because then I'm not really lying because I'm telling the truth when I sing it. But when I sing about me and I sing about what I intend to do, how many times over my lifetime have I done that while I'm making out a grocery list? How many times have I done that while I'm thinking about where I'm going to eat after church? How many times have I done that while I'm paying attention to that person that was rude to me? How many times have I done that without focusing upon the Lord? You can even do that in your quiet time if you have one. You can start reading and say, this is what I have to read today. How many verses do I have to do to get through the Bible in a year? Oh, good night. There's a lot of them. <laughs> done. See? 10.30, somebody says, what'd you read in your quiet time? Oh, it was, it was really good. Really, really, really good. But you can't think of what it was. It really didn't impact your life. And I've told you before, I don't mind you reading the Bible through in a year. 
But to be honest with you, I really don't care. I would rather you read a chapter in a year that really gets a hold of your life and changes you than I would for you to do the speed reading thing and just brag about going through the Bible in a year when you can't remember it and it really didn't make any difference in your life. The goal is you've got to hear from God and let the truth of the Word of God change you. And in order to change you, it's got to be on your, your mind. It's not just rattling around in there somewhere. Conscious thinking, meditating, the Bible says, on the Word of God. And meditating means recalling it and thinking on it. So worship requires honesty. Lord, I don't do that. And Lord, my words sometimes do cause my flesh to sin because I pretend to be something that I'm not and I set myself up for failure in the eyes of God and the eyes of other people. And then when I'm confronted on it, notice he said, nor say before the messenger of God, whether that's a prophet or a priest or a friend or even if an angel showed up. The Hebrew word kind of gives room for all three. So what if God really does confront you and then we go, oh, well, that was a mistake. Oh, you misunderstood. God knows. God knows what you're doing. And uh, notice why should God be angry at your excuse and destroy the work of your hands? Because if you're going to trust in those kind of things and ignore God, you're going to be in trouble. God's not going to bless what he's cursed. One man said, the fools here spoken of are such as make promises when in danger or distress. But as soon as the occasion which led to the making of them is over, think no more of the promises. I've been on ice driving before where I've surrendered to missions three times before I got to the church. <laughs> if you'll just get me there safely, Lord, Africa, wherever you want me to go. And then as soon as I get to the church and I park, well, you got to walk into the building and that's not all that safe anymore, is it, when you get a little bit older? I don't skate as well as I used to. I fall pretty good but I don't skate as well as I used to. But you know what I mean. Of course, I'm joking about that, but we kind of tend to do that, and we make bargains with God. I've even heard some people that their salvation testimony was, I got sick, and I promised God that if he would get me through this, I'd be baptized. Hmm. I didn't hear anything about the blood of Jesus. I didn't hear anything about the cross. I didn't hear anything about the resurrection. I didn't hear anything about lordship. I didn't hear anything about what the Bible says is the gospel. I heard somebody that made a promise and they fulfilled it. And you know, most of the time, they may do that initially and then you never see them again. You can't get them back. Why? Their commit was, commitment was to an occasion, not to the Lord who is eternal. And we've all got to fight that kind of thing so we don't end up being a fool. God is not uh, playing, let's make a deal. And he's not saying, you know, what do you want to do? I'll trade you this for that and all of those kind of things. He's not into all of that. It's an all or nothing thing as we surrender to the lordship of Jesus Christ. How are you on time? Let's do the last one. And worship, bottom line is it takes God seriously. And that's really what we're saying about all of this, isn't it? Um, I have started thinking more about what I read in the Minor Prophets. Have you read the Minor Prophets lately? 
I've got a book, it's called Major Lessons from Minor Prophets. And one of the things you find in the Minor Prophets is God is really not all that interested in just dead, formal, empty, thoughtless, mindless, quote-unquote, worship. God expects to be revered. God expects to be remembered. How many times in the Old Testament does God say, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt? Why should he have to even bring that up? Why would any Jew at any time, in any part, place of history, especially in the Old Testament, why would they have to be even reminded of that? I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. How many times did he say that? Because the people were living their lives like they had forgotten it. They were living their lives like it didn't really matter. They were living their lives like it was no big deal. <coughs> Excuse me. And one of the things you'll notice in prayers, in both the Old and the New Testament, is the recorded prayers, they had this tendency to say, Oh God, you are the God that brought our fathers out of Egypt. You were the God that parted the Red Sea. You are the God that brought us manna in the wilderness. You're the God that brought us into the promised land. You're the God that made the walls of Jericho fall and made our enemies flee before us. Why did they do that? Because we have this tendency just to run past everything God has ever done for us like it's no big deal and like he owed it to us anyway. We were entitled to it. I think sometimes we need to pray more like they did and start thinking about how many times have you prayed for God to provide for the needs of your family and he's done so year after year, decade after decade. You've never had a time where you really went without food or clothing or shelter and then we act like it's no big deal. What about your salvation? God loved you so much that he wrote your name in the Lamb's book of life before the foundation of the world, before you were ever thought of. God set his affection upon you. Sent his son to die for you. Took all of the sins that you would ever commit in your lifetime. How many is that? Took them all and put it on Jesus and Jesus drained the cup of the wrath of God for you so that you would never have to experience that. Think about whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. How many of you called upon the name of the Lord and he saved you? Say amen. You over that? Do you forget about that? Think about all of the times when you said, Oh God, get me through this situation by your grace and for your glory. And I'll always testify of how good you are. Have you forgotten to do that? Have you forgotten to tell your story? Have you forgotten to give him praise and thanks for what he has done? Are you acting like he shortchanged you? He owes you more. I heard somebody say one time they were going through a trial. Well, I, I didn't sign up for this. Well, actually, when you say Jesus is Lord, you did sign up for that. He said, Lord, you'll call the shots. You'll make the plans. You're the one that'll lead me where you want me to go. And it may be through the valley of the shadow of death. It may be through sickness. It may be through hard times. But it's the Lord who leads you through it. See, this morning we sang. 
Blessed be the name of the Lord. And we sang it kind of like Job did, except we're probably, most of us, not really going through Job's experiences. And I wonder, when it says in there, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away, blessed be the name of the Lord. He had just lost all of his children. Don't read that going, oh well, you know, he can always have more. How would you feel if you had a baby that died and you come to church and someone comes up to you and pats you on the shoulder and they say, well, you're young, you can always have more. Would you punch them? You'd want to. I mean, I can't think of anything more heartless, but I know people do say those kind of things. And yet we read through the book of Job and he just heard word that all ten of his children are gone. And we read past that so fast. Oh, yeah, well, we see it. And his words were, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. And he worships. Blessed be the name of the Lord. See, we sang that this morning. Did you think about it? Is it impacting your life? That's what Solomon is saying. So just to wrap up, we need to fear God by humbly honoring Him, by obeying Him, by growing in knowledge, by seeking His blessing, and by fearing the consequences of sin. And I think the worst consequences come by the sins that we commit thoughtlessly. And we try to remedy it by thoughtless worship. And it just doesn't fly, does it? It just doesn't fly. So with that said, could we bow our heads and could we close our eyes? And I don't want you to make God any promises. Better not to promise than to make a promise and not fulfill your vow. Did you hear that? We're so quick to make commitments, promises, all of that kind of thing. Don't do that. Don't do that. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed, would you just simply say this or something like it? Lord, I want my worship to be pure. I want it to be more than just on Sunday when I'm in church. And I want you to work in my life so that my words are few and simple, but they're authentic. Few, simple, and authentic. Whether I'm talking to God in prayer or talking to someone else. And that thing about let your words be few is just a good rule of life, isn't it? Sometimes we could get to know people and we could help people and impact people if we would listen more than we talk. I'm a very critical person. And I see and I make snap judgments. And then I find out the rest of the story. And it breaks my heart. Because you know what the problem was? I didn't take time to listen. I think I'm getting better about that as I get older. I don't speak so quickly. I kind of pause, roll it around in my head. Do I really want to say that? And I'm trying to do that even in my prayer life. Let your words be few, but let them be true, honest. Let them be authentic before God. 
And you might pray something like this. Let my worship be glorifying to God and helpful to fellow strugglers. Glorifying to God, helpful to fellow strugglers. And then you might conclude with something like this. When I've encountered God in worship every day of the week, let it be so powerful that others can tell the difference, especially those that are lost. Especially those that are lost. Let me pray for us now, Lord. Lord, as we come, fools, fakes, Thoughtless, mindless, numb, just going through the motions, getting things over with type people. We come to say, please forgive us. And it appears to me the wisest thing we can do is to get our minds engaged. Preparing to come to worship is a whole lot more than making sure you have the right shoes and the right outfit on. It's getting your heart ready. Maybe we should spend Saturday nights getting our heart ready more than we do getting our bodies ready. It means that when we sing songs, we don't just sing them out of habit or because we like it or because it's fast or because it's slow or whatever. That we actually think about what we're saying so that we don't become dishonest. And help us remember, Lord, those times that when the Spirit moves in our hearts with something that we're supposed to do, don't let us be too quick to say, I'm going to do that and then never be able to fulfill it. The devil will fill up our calendar. He'll distract us. We'll be having so many things we get to do and then we turn around and go, oh yeah, I never got around to doing that. That's what Solomon is saying. So don't let us be fools. Paul said, let us redeem the time. So we do that because we fear you, we honor you, we love you, we're thankful to you. And we want to know you more and we want to serve you more authentically in everything we do. Forgive us, cleanse us, and sanctify us in this area. And we pray this, Lord, because you want this more than we do. Thank you for that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Let's conclude by standing and singing before we go tonight. He is exalted, the King is exalted on high. I will praise Him. We want to reach people. We want to grow. We want to do that. It's so easy to say amen. Now do something about it. What would the Lord have you do? Now think about next Sunday night when we're having our lights out. Someone 
kind of pointed out to me, we're going to turn the lights out here so we can put the light out there. It's pretty good. Pretty good. And we're going to carry the light where it's needed. Now, what are you going to do and where are you going to take it? I want you to be praying about that and thinking about it so that next Sunday night you're ready to do something. Okay? Don't forget to sign up, men, for the men's breakfast. Don't forget to sign up for the fall festival. We're going to have a lot of people coming through our building. Those are people that you might be able to talk to, you might be able to have a word of prayer with somebody, you might be able to listen to somebody who thinks that they're unheard and unimportant and you pay attention to them and you help them. You might build a relationship where you can help them with their children or help them with any number of things in their life and ultimately to be able to share the good news of Jesus Christ with them. That's why we do that. It's more than just you know what a lot of people think it is. And so uh, we can do it for the right reason and we can do it in the power of the Lord and we can take advantage of all of that to be able to get to know some people. And so let's not make our vows and then just forget about them. Let's follow through on what we do and worship the Lord with our actions. Worship the Lord in the things that we do. That's where he blesses. Follow through on all of that, okay? Anything else we need to say? Covered it all? Good. Thank you for being here tonight. Hope you enjoyed it and hope the Lord spoke to you and hope that it changes your life. You are dismissed. May the Lord bless you.